You're listening to TIP. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this Wednesday's release of the Bitcoin Fundamentals podcast. On today's show, we have the one and only Mike Peterson, who's the driving force behind the Bitcoin Beach Initiative down in El Salvador. During this episode, we talk about the big international conference that just occurred where 44 different countries and their central banks attended a conference where they discussed Bitcoin legal tender laws and all the considerations that get wrapped into it. Mike talks about the delegation that then visited Bitcoin Beach and conducted immediate Bitcoin Lightning transactions and what the various opinions and points of view were coming out of that event. We also talk about the long-term impacts this is having on the population, whether Mike thinks this is replicable in other parts of the world, and much, much more. So without further delay, here's my chat with the one and only Mr. Mike Peterson. You're listening to Bitcoin Fundamentals by The Investor's Podcast Network. Now for your host, Preston Pish. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. Like I said in the introduction, I'm here with Mike, Mike Peterson. Mike, welcome to the show. And man, I'm excited to do this. We bumped into each other in Miami and we were there having a conversation. We both got asked to orange pill Tim Tebow in a back room and we ended up getting into a sidebar conversation and kind of distracting the group by our own sidebar conversation. And man, I was thrilled to meet you because I've heard so much about Bitcoin Beach and it's such an honor for me to have you here to have this conversation today. So welcome to the show. Thanks. I was stoked to meet you. You're actually, your podcast is one of my favorites. I, I listen to it every week. And just on a side note, how cool was Tim? I mean, <laughs> I know. talk about down to earth and like I know. legit. I was surprised. Usually when you meet people in person, you're kind of disappointed, but disappointed. I'm not even a football fan. But after meeting him, I was like, wow, that guy is legit. That's what, that's exactly my takeaway. Cause my wife was there with us and we walked out and I said, that guy's legit. Like, it's not some like uh, you know marketing thing around that guy. He deeply cares about people and trying to do what's best for them. And he was huge, by the way. Like I was, yeah. I was like, wow, no. this dude is that dude would you, mess me up. When you can see their <laughs> gene, their their muscles rippling through their genes, yes. you know that they're uh, they're pretty ripped. I was so. like, dude, this guy is big, and he is. He is deeply interested in helping humanity. And I was just, you know, I, I felt a little honored to, to meet him. And, you know, I'm, I'm not like a fan or anything. I was, you know, Jimmy Song reached out to kind of have a conversation and I was, it was really neat meeting him. But anyway, so let's go ahead and uh, let's dive into your story. So you've told your story a lot of times on different podcasts. I just want you to do a quick recap, maybe a Cliff Notes version of your story for folks that maybe aren't familiar with it. And then we'll dive into some other stuff that I think is 44 countries coming to El Salvador about Bitcoin. I mean, there's a lot for us to talk about here. So give people a little bit of your background and kind of how you became this Bitcoin Beach figurehead for this movement that's happening down there. Yeah, so we bought a place in El Salvador about 2005, went there on a surf trip and kind of fell in love with the country and the people. And we'd spend a few months there every year and started to get to know a, a number of people that were working in everything from like running children's homes to starting churches to working with drug addicts. And 
we saw kind of a chance to, to spend a good part of our year in El Salvador kind of giving back and being involved in some of these projects. And kind of out of that came a desire to impact the community that we were living in, which is El Zante. And there was a big gang problem there, a lot of historical poverty. Most of the kids grow up without their parents around because they're in the U.S. working. And so we saw an opportunity to start really kind of pouring into some young, promising leaders. Jorge Valenzuela was a guy who came to work to us when he was, uh, I think he was in his early 20s when he started. And we saw he had a real heart and connection with the community. And so we just started pouring into all these programs targeting the youth and trying to help them stay in school, stay out of the gangs, get on the right path in life. And through that, as we were trying to bring money down in different ways, I just kept thinking, man, if we just use Bitcoin, it would be so much easier because it's such a hassle with the the AML, KYC laws, just trying to bring cash into the country. I mean, sometimes the best way to bring it in was to to fly back to the US and, and to bring back you know, $9,800 with you. So, you know, oh, you're, wow. I'm always afraid to report it at the airport there. You don't want to get mugged leaving the airport. But it was, we just saw like how much that was holding back. And then a few years ago, we had somebody make a donation and they actually put the stipulation on it. It was a Bitcoin donation. And they said, hey, you can't just cash this in. You have to actually use it as Bitcoin. And I started thinking about it. I was an economics major in university. I've always been fascinated about you know, why some countries are successful, why their economic systems work, why others don't. And so I pitched this idea of, hey, let's take it a step further and actually develop this Bitcoin circular economy that gives these young people some hope and some, some stake in the future. And you know, the, the rest is, is history, world history, as we've seen uh, El Salvador adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. And, and now we see other countries that, you know, most recently, the Central Republic of Africa and their Central African Republic. And then I have a feeling we're going to see several more in the next year or two. I have a question about that later on. So, and for people that aren't familiar, so Jack Maulers came down, integrated with you, Mike, and then Jack started having conversations with the president and his brother, and then that led a lot to the Bitcoin tender law. So at the heart of all of this was this Bitcoin Beach initiative that you stood up to make this a circular economy around Bitcoin. So when you started pitching this, I'm just curious, when you, when you started pitching this to various people, what was your distribution strategy? And then how did you bring businesses on board to start accepting it? Because I'm sure at first, this was a very hard pitch for people to even like, the heck are you, what the heck are you pitching here? So we really wanted to look at how we could most effectively and efficiently get it out in the population. And so we started looking at different UBI type programs that we could do where we would kind of just do a distribution throughout the community. We did want to put some stipulations on it that it would be more targeted to people that had you know, young kids and the people that were specifically had, had the needs. It got rolled out sort of like that. We did, we did actually have a little bit different tact. Initially, we started paying the young people in Bitcoin to clean the local river, the beaches, actually start doing some repair work on the homes of the elderly in the community kind of things where they could feel productive and actually feel like they were earning their Bitcoin rather than just freely giving it to them. Yeah. And then 
during the uh, COVID lockdown, we did kind of switch to more of a UBI system because at that point, nobody could work. They couldn't leave their homes and, and they were going hungry. And so they had a real need to have a way to bring some income in. And they also had a lot of time on their hands. So they had the ability to, to read about Bitcoin and kind of learn and put the homework in that they needed to be done to have really understand it. And so the COVID lockdown actually accelerated everything we were doing by, by a significant degree. And did, you, did the businesses, they were just open to accept it when the kids and the people that were receiving this just started showing up with you know, $100 in Bitcoin and they want to buy whatever goods the businesses were uh, quick to, to adopt or did that take some convincing? The first couple, we, you know, we leaned on our relationships, people that we already knew that you know, we could kind of strong arm into to doing it as a favor. And so they were skeptical at first. But once they started seeing the percentage of their income that was coming from Bitcoin, then they actually ramped up the efforts, they ramped up the advertising. And hmm. that just led to the FOMO of their, the neighboring stores. So they're wondering, hey, why do they have lines? Why, when everybody else is out of work, do, are people still lining up to spend at, at their stores? And they asked how they could onboard. And so it was really a, a, a combination of a few early adopters, and then FOMO took it from there. So $100,000, how long did it take for you to kind of insert that into the local economy? So we've been, that was kind of over a, a several month period, that initial injection went in, and then we've had subsequent injections that have funded, you know, specific programs. We actually started the, the first lifeguarding program in El Salvador. And so we've done a number of things like that, where there was something that was needed in the country. We started paying the people in Bitcoin and like the lifeguard program, the government eventually took it over and rolled it out countrywide. And so the group's actually super proud of that, that they were the ones that brought professional lifeguarding to El Salvador. Wow. Fascinating. All right. So Mike, let's jump into the current news. So 44 countries. When I saw this number, and I know that uh, when they did the Bretton Woods Agreement, it was also 44 countries. And Bukele was tweeting this out, but 44 countries show up in El Salvador to learn about Bitcoin. I want to say that this conference was, what, three days long, a week? And the government El Salvador put this on very similar to the MicroStrategy conference that Michael Saylor put together for corporations in the US. You see President Bukele and his economic team put this together. And then I know on the last day, they, they went out to Bitcoin Beach. And from what I understand, they, were, they all had their own digital wallets and were conducting transactions in Bitcoin to kind of see how it worked. Talk to us about everything you know about this conference, because I, I really don't know that much as to what took place and kind of what the scuttlebutt was at the conclusion of it. Yeah. So this conference is put on by uh, like a global organization called AFI. You know, it's, it's kind of like some of those other big, you know, global organizations, but it doesn't get as much media play because it's made up of kind of the forgotten countries like El Salvador. And so I think there's, I think it's 90 or 89 countries in total, I think, whose central banks are members of this association. And it is, I believe it's the Association for Financial Inclusion. Inclusion. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it just so happened that they had already planned on having this um, meetup in El Salvador, even before the Bitcoin law was rolled out. And wow. once, uh, you know, it was canceled a couple of times because of COVID. 
And then when they actually went ahead, decided to go forward with it, they really wanted to focus on the Bitcoin adoption because El Salvador was the first one to do that. Their whole objective for doing that was to increase financial inclusion. And so this was a chance for all these central bankers to, to better understand what was driving El Salvador to do this, what the results were, and how it might translate into their countries if they were to try to go down that same pathway. And so they reached out to us and asked, hey, can you guys come to the, the opening meetings of the opening sessions, do a presentation on the history of Bitcoin Beach, uh, how the wallets are used, why this really increases financial inclusion. And then on the final day, can you host everybody? We want to bring them down to El Zante, uh, have them set up wallets, have them be buying Cokes and waters at the local stores have them try to send money home to family members that are in their respective countries, have them set up you know, even different wallets. So they're seeing how you can go from one wallet to another because it's this open protocol and how you know, that works so differently than PayPal and Venmo and those sorts of things. And so they really wanted us to be the experiential part of it. And of course, we jumped at the, the chance. We, we printed up a bunch of t-shirts and hats and swag. So that central bankers across the world will be going into casual Fridays wearing their uh, Bitcoin Beach shirts. So it actually went way better than we were expecting. I mean, I thought there would be more resistance. The people were just fascinating. They were watching lightning transactions happen. So instantly they were just shocked that, wait, that's it. It's already there. That's all it, <laughs> that's all it is. I thought it was much more complicated than this. I thought it took so 10 minutes. It was eye-opening for them to realize, hey, El Salvador can do this. We can do this. Anybody can do this. Yeah. How exciting. You know, a little bit of a side note here. It, it's just too ironic to me that you have the IMF who puts on this presentation as if they're all about financial inclusion and they're doing things to help developing nations and things like this. And how against this they have been directly to El Salvador. When it's just an open protocol, it's just an open mathematical crunching thing, like computer code that should effectively pose no, no threat to anything that they're doing if they're doing things in a, in a fair and reasonable manner. And I think that's the, the concern and that's the issue, obviously, from, from our vantage point, right? But I just find it so ironic that they would have such heartburn over everything that's happening down there. And boy, is, isn't that the signal in, in all of this? But It's funny because I think that's actually pushing countries to want to understand it better. Exactly. Because they're so upset about this. They're, you know, they're, it's got their hackles up. And you know, most of these countries have pretty mixed to negative history with the IMF. Yes. And so I think there's assumption from a lot of these central banks of, hey, they want to keep us away from this. We need to figure this out. Exactly. I, you couldn't have said it any better. What was one of the most interesting stories that you heard out of this event, this Alliance for Financial Inclusion, the AFI event? I think the most interesting thing was for us to have a realization that the central bankers, are, they're just normal people. I think a lot of times we put them up on this pedestal. We, we think that they operate at this different level. They're just people with the same insecurities, the, the same um, you know, hesitations, the, the same lack of te technological uh, prowess. 
And so I think mm-hmm. that's what one thing was very surprising was how much help these central bankers needed just to download an app where we have these 10-year-old kids in El Zante that could download 10 apps in the time it took them to set up one wallet. But I think that that was helpful for us to see as we realized that a lot of times it's not even something major. It's these little things, these little hurdles we have to help them get over. And that will turn them from being a skeptic to somebody that realizes, hey, this is the future. This is the way forward. Yeah, isn't that isn't that so true? You, and you're looking at the uh, central bank digital currency talk and all the tech that has to go into getting something that that actually has the technical maturation to release in a way that you don't crash whatever economy that you've got going with enough confidence. And uh, I don't I don't know. I I I look at that Herculean effort that has to happen with a no-fail type outcome by these central bankers. And I think a lot of them are scared to death to go down that path, to move away from the existing system and implement something like that, fully knowing that if you, if you get any of that centralized code wrong, like it's going to be disastrous. Absolutely disastrous. Right? And it still has all the drawbacks of the current system it has- we're using. So Amen. It, there's really not that much benefit to it. It solves it solves nothing but their ability to to control and interject their ability to cut off a transaction. That's the only thing that it brings, which is no benefit to a citizen. That doesn't benefit you and me or anybody else. If any, it, it's it's just a worse money than than what already exists. And I think for a lot of these countries, it doesn't even benefit them because then. The U.S. or the IMF can actually put more pressure on them and put more friction into the system than yeah. already exists, and it'll actually cause a drag on their economy. Yeah, yeah. Hey, let's talk about the benefits that you've seen to date, because you have been up close and personal with this for multiple years now, and a lot of it has, has had time to settle in, and you're actually seeing what's kind of percolating out of this. So walk us through some of the, the bigger things that you're seeing that, that this has created down there in El Salvador to date. So, so I'll hit it from two directions. One is on more the micro level with individuals. We see with them, these people who have never considered what money is, who have never saved in their life, have never even thought why they should save. They're for the first time asking those questions. What gives this piece of paper value? How does that compare to Bitcoin? And they're starting to think about the opportunity cost of spending versus savings because they're realizing, hey, if these projections we're hearing are correct and this Bitcoin is worth you know, 10x in a few years, I don't want to spend it now. I want to save it. And so it's really turning them from spenders into savers. So that's more on the, the micro level. It's also giving them this, this sense of hope that they can actually save and get ahead and not just keep falling behind because inflation is higher than any savings rate, you know, any, any interest that they can earn at the bank. And so it's really making them optimists instead of pessimists. But what I kind of really want to focus on today with you is more on the macro level, because this is where I think people are really missing the picture is how big of a impact this is having on El Salvador in the long term. People keep focusing on, well, El Salvador bought Bitcoin when it was higher than it is now. They've 
they have $30 million in paper losses. This has been a horrible failure and nobody should go down this route. Well, they're talking about this $30 million. They're not talking about the fact that last year they had $1.5 billion more in private investment than they've ever had in any year before. In fact, private investment was, I think, 18.4% of GDP last year. The previous high that it had ever been was, I think, 15.9%. So they've seen this material increase in investment coming into the country. They're seeing numerous companies come in, set up legal entities, and we're just in the first innings. They're just trying to staff up now. I think there's probably been a couple thousand jobs created, directly created in the Bitcoin sector that will translate into probably 100,000 jobs in two years from now. And this is in a country of you know, six, seven million people. So this is very material. And even bigger than those things is how it's changed the whole narrative about El Salvador. It used to be, I couldn't get people to come visit me in El Salvador. They're like, no, I'm going to get killed. All I've heard about El Salvador is, is gangs. They have the highest murder rate. They literally overnight changed the narrative from gangs and murder rate to Bitcoin adoption, tech sector, becoming the financial center of Latin America. They've, I mean, you couldn't pay, you could not pay a publicity agent a billion dollars and have that type of results. I mean, just the just one example, the 60 Minutes episode that we did last month. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's worth literally tens of millions of dollars in positive publicity to the country. And that was just one out of hundreds of news agencies that have done big features on El Salvador. And so that's what people are missing. They're focused on this $39 million in paper losses and not these billions and billions of dollars of value that's been literally created overnight in the brand of El Salvador. Unrealized losses at that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think in five years, even, even that, nobody's going to be talking about no. because there'll be gains. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover leads by example with their dynamic design that rises to the occasion. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capabilities, coupled with signature Range Rover refinement. The third-generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet, redefining sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offering next-level comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit-light driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. You can enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGBT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only aids you in your research and analysis process, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Today, I want to share such a tool with you called Meka. Meka is the AI-powered stock research assistant now enhanced with real-time stock data. Meka does a lot of the heavy lifting of sifting through financial statements and company data and delivers it to you nearly instantaneously, and the best part is that it's 100% free. Try it out today and ask Meka questions like, what is the financial health of Microsoft? 
How much cash does Copart hold on its balance sheet? What is the return on invested capital of Adobe or millions of other prompts? Check it out today for free at Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. When Rain Wilson had a great idea, he turned to AT&T Business. They assured him no matter how out there his idea may be, they had his back. So he came up with this, a talking pillow designed to put you to sleep, backed by a reliable network and the only network with built-in security controls. And thus, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your business to the next level at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. All right, back to the show. Yeah, no, in this, this number that you said, $1.5 billion in private investment, and I'm thinking long-term, they're setting up infrastructure, right? The amount of capital that's going to follow that is going to be you know, pretty exciting. And I think if so, people that might be listening to this from the US or over in Europe or whatever, there's because I hear this all the time, people are like, those numbers are small potatoes, Mike. Like, that's what your typical Wall Streeter or whoever that's listening to this are saying, those numbers are small potatoes. That's nothing in the global scheme of things. But where I think that person is just so wrong is this is a shift, an incentive structure that can be replicated if a country decides to replicate it. So what you had mentioned earlier that you think that there's a couple more countries that are going to come out here and but maybe by year's end or whatever that are going to start announcing similar things. What are you hearing on that front? Definitely a lot of countries are watching El Salvador and they're watching how this plays out, specifically other Central American countries because it's right on their doorstep. You know, when people talk about, oh, those are small numbers, you have to keep in mind that the total GDP of El Salvador is only like $30 billion. So a $1.5 billion swing Massive. in private investment is huge. They had an increase in tourism over projections of like $700 million last year. You know, those are big numbers. Those move the needles. And we're just in the like first inning of this. Companies are just figuring out how they can staff up. They're setting up their legal entities. They're trying to scale. This is something that is going to, you know, we're going to see 20-fold this in a few years. And, and that's what people miss is we're still in the first year here. <laughs> like if you look at when Singapore, you know, made its kind of sprint to become what it has today, it, it was no, nowhere near as fast as this has happened in El Salvador. Like this is, is going to be look like whiplash speed when you're looking at it 10 years from now, where right now people, you know, criticize, oh, it's, it's so slow. You know, I've seen tons of articles saying, oh, only 20% of businesses are using Bitcoin. 20% of businesses using Bitcoin, like, I don't know for sure that those are the accurate stats, but I'd be thrilled with those stats. I mean, that's huge to have 20% of businesses using Bitcoin. You know, they'll say, oh, only 5% of the transactions are in Bitcoin. I mean, that's, much bigger than credit cards were when they were first rolled out. I mean, this is happening at a speed that we have not seen anywhere in history. I, I agree with you. And I think the important point here is the, the financial rails are being laid. The templates for businesses and countries are, are, are being set. Those protocols for how this is done are now in place. And now you just kind of need the spark 
to create the incentive for others to to kind of follow down this path that's already been laid and it's already it's already laid out there for them to follow. And so, you know, we talk about it on this show all the time. It's it's all this macro backdrop. It's this fixed income market that's negative yields in real terms to the tune of a hundred trillion dollars, and it don't seem like it's going to be getting better anytime soon is going to be that financial push that eventually pushes everybody to these tracks and these financial rails that are that are being laid and exp- I don't want to call it experimental because it's it's very real down there. <laughs> but as far as as people saying the numbers aren't, you know, offsetting, I don't think that you have the financial incentive I, I don't think you have the obvious financial incentive for people to start moving to these rails yet. But I think you might be moving there very quickly in, in the coming five to 10 years. And that's what I think is just so important about this story. It's just, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. People are creatures of habit, especially when it comes to their money. So I'm actually shocked that we've seen the amount of adoption that we had because people don't like to change things, you know, if they're kind of working for them. But that's the thing. This was not working for so many people. And that's why we're seeing what I would say is, is fantastic adoption so early. And I would be very scared if I were Western Union or any of these you know, companies that have you know, made this their market. They're going to have to adapt or they're going to die. Talk to us about the remittance. I know this is something that Jack Maulers talks about a ton. What do some of those numbers look like? Do you know any of them off the top of your head? I don't know any off the top of my head. I still think it's it's probably like less than 5% of the remittance market is happening in Bitcoin. But the remittance market in El Salvador is billions of dollars. And so these incremental changes, it's something where it doesn't look like that much. And then a year from now, it's like, wait, how did we get here? We have half of these remittances coming over Bitcoin rails. We're saving the poorest of the poor, literally hundreds of millions of dollars and not just the money, the, the convenience. Now they mm-hmm. can get it direct to their, you know, to their home. They can send it to the store and have a delivery boy come and deliver the, the food to them. They can you know, have Amazon-like services that they would never be able to have if they had to wait until they could adopt credit cards or something like that, because most of them would never qualify. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to spread. Word gets out fast when you don't have to go stand in the line for 30 minutes or an hour and, and all those benefits that you're highlighting. Um, so you've never had a meeting with a billionaire until this past year, and then all of a sudden you have a meeting with three different billionaires in the past year. Talk to us about this experience and uh, you know, what, what you know, produced this and then tell us about some of like, the questions. Or, and you don't have to name them if, if you don't want to, but you know, just tell us this story. What, what in the world's going on with this? I mean, it just goes back to everything we've been talking about before. Like the world's eyes are on El Salvador. All these companies and, and wealthy individuals who, and quite frankly, couldn't have pointed out uh, El Salvador on a map a couple of years ago, now feel they need to have an El Salvador strategy. They want to get boots on the ground, see what's happening here, see how they can actually help they, they're not just looking what they can gain from it. They actually want to be part of this because they see, see this as being something transformational. Uh, they realize El Salvador is a small country. It's not going to maybe move the needle for them financially, but El Salvador is the first to adopt and it could move the needle as far as Bitcoin adoption. I mean, it already has moved the needle, 
And so I think they want to make sure that it works. And so, yeah, it's been a humbling experience. You know, we're in El Zante, this small, you know, beach town of 3,000 people. And I've never met a billionaire before. And now, you know, it's a regular occurrence for them to <laughs> come through town, to want to sit down, to want to understand what's going on, how they can help, how they can participate. And I think it just goes to show like this is the benefit that has come from the Bitcoin adoption. This is why it's going to be transformational to El Salvador because it's opening all these doors. It's opening an investment and it's bringing in good paying jobs. And that's when people focus on Bitcoin price, they're missing all that. What's happened so with, with all of this activity that's happening where you got 44 countries coming out to Bitcoin Beach. And when we started the conversation, you were talking about that local community and how you were there to try to, to create a spark. Well, you didn't create a spark. You, you created a bonfire. And maybe, maybe that's an understatement. What's the community think right now if you were going to take the pulse? Just to circle back, one thing I wanted to mention on, those, on the 44 central bankers that were there, I, it was interesting watching their reaction to being able to make these transactions and buy things with Bitcoin versus Americans. Americans are kind of used to being able to do those sorts of things. It seems like no big deal. I could do this with Venmo. For them, it was amazing that they could themselves do this without having to qualify for any account with an open protocol that could be easily transported to their own country. And so I think it was kind of a light bulb moment for them. And that, that goes to show like how it's impacted the whole community in El Zante. Like this has made the people in El Zante feel, a lot of them for the first time, like they are not in some forgotten backwater, but they're actually leading the world forward. Yes, yeah. It used to be everybody there was planning to try to sneak into the US or, you know, a lot of them were joining the gang. Now they feel like, hey, there's all these expats wanting to come to El Zante. There's all these business opportunities here. I'm super fortunate to be Salvadoran, to have a Salvadoran passport. I live in the country that these other people are, you know, wanting to spend, you know, potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars to try to acquire this passport. I already have it. I'm going to take advantage of it and build a business here. And so we're seeing the vast majority of locals kind of sense that opportunity and want to make sure that they, you know, defer gratification, that they put the hard work in now so that it can benefit long run from that. I love it. I could imagine the uh, the look on the central bankers' faces as they were, you know, spending sats immediately and non KYC wallets, and then zapping it back to wherever they're from, and kind of looking at each other, thinking, "We're not going to be able to stop this. <laughs> this this is going to be unstoppable, right?" I can just I can just imagine that sense that you get because I think. I know for me, the first time I set up my full node, I had my own wallet. I'm routing it through my node. And, you know, I'd call a friend and I'd be like, hey, download this wallet. I said, what did you notice when you downloaded the wallet? And they'd be like, oh, I don't know. I, I kind of did it. Did you have to put your name or anything into this? No, I didn't. Okay. Now watch this. I'm going to send you five bucks, right? And boom, and just send it off. And it immediately arrives as we're like having the conversation on the phone. And it's just kind of this realization. You can hear it over the phone. I can only imagine as they were witnessing this down there all together, it's unstoppable. That's the thing you walk away when you, when you have that experience. And for people that are listening to this, if, if you haven't played around with Lightning and, and done this immediate settlement with a, 
thing you can download on your phone right now as you're listening to this. Boy, oh boy, you start playing around with it, you realize real fast, like, how can anybody stop that? How can anybody stop? And you can't. That's part of why I think lightning is such a game changer. When when you have to wait for a confirmation and you're showing somebody that, it it kind of feels a little wonky. But when they see that, you know, they hear that immediate ping on their end that they received it. I, I have not met a single person that I've onboarded and had to do a lightning transaction that still thought, nah, this Bitcoin thing's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. I mean, literally, once they do a transaction, they're hooked. And so for a lot of these central bankers, some of them will go back and they'll start pushing, hey, we can drive our country in this direction. We can be number three or number four. We can make history. We can invite investment. There's others that you know, aren't going to take that initiative. But when somebody else in their country starts driving it, they'll be less likely to want to try to stop it because they'll be less afraid of it. They'll understand it. They'll, they'll see the potential of it. And so I think we're going to see this play out in these 44 countries and, you know, in very different, different ways. But I, I guarantee that several of them within the next five years will have adopted Bitcoin. Yeah. There's a huge advantage to, to be a first mover in this, to have the plumbing and have the rails laid with so much, with so many bills for most people, all denominated in you know fiat currencies that are much more stable in in the buying power, you know most people's bills. Very few people have much disposable income, and so to be placing a lot of your net worth or whatever in this when you don't have a lot of disposable income, you can see why the adoption is slow. And it's, it comes down to these ideas that if you're having to pay the electric bill and you're having to pay a mortgage and you have to pay all these things, you don't want to convert it into Bitcoin and have to swap it back with the, the volatility that's there. But I think as these things that we talk about, like the bond market, like I mentioned earlier, start to really debase and start to really heat up, which I think is coming here in the coming five years, it's going to become much more obvious to people that they've got to retain whatever disposable income that they have into this thing called Bitcoin. And so these countries that you're talking about that lay that architecture and that foundation early are going to be the biggest beneficiaries of this of this financial shift and this change that we, you know, seem to be very confident as is on the horizon. Well, and I think during that transition period, that's why it's so important to have like the ability within the Chivo wallet that they can hold it in dollars or strike. Yes. We're actually getting ready to roll that option out within the Bitcoin Beach wallet. And so we see that as a bridge. When people first get into it, they'll choose to hold mostly dollars. But over time, we see them gradually put more and more in Bitcoin till they become like me, where they just want to hold everything in Bitcoin. And so yeah. I think, and I think this is actually the most opportune time in kind of a down cycle for people to be learning those lessons, to be getting their feet wet, getting burnt a few times and, and understanding that so that when we come into the next bull market, like they're going to be primed and ready to go. Yeah. For businesses, I mean, just look at MicroStrategy. From a business standpoint, Michael's sweeping whatever free cash flows he's got into Bitcoin. All the other stuff, you got to keep it in dollars so that you can can pay whatever those fixed expenses are and, and your variable expenses uh, for the business. And then you just sweep whatever your whatever your free cash flows for the individual. It's your disposable income that's those free cash flows. That's what you should be sweeping into Bitcoin. And 
you know, the rest, these, these wallets that are going to enable this in stable coins, I think are going to be the wallets that really kind of dominate the space because it gives that, that person that optionality to, hey, you know, I can retain 10% of what I earn each month. And that's what's going into Bitcoin. The rest remains into that until you get this, this really big move. And then, you know, people just want to be paid in Bitcoin. And, you know, you and I, Mike, we obviously think that day's coming. And, um, you know, it's just a matter of when. But it's, it's really fascinating to see how important it is that we have the El Salvador's, we have the micro strategies kind of demonstrating and providing a template to the world for when that day potentially comes if we didn't have people. And I think we're, we're seeing more, more and more interest, even this, this past week after all the central bankers left, there was another delegation from Senegal that was there actually researching um, the surf industry in El Salvador because they have surf in Senegal and they want to kind of replicate El Salvador's success. And they were just fascinated by the actual potential of Bitcoin tourism and the boom that El Salvador has seen from that. Huh. And so they came and spent the day. They want to, uh, the, there was a mayor from a small island off of uh, the capital of Sen Senegal that he wants to kind of roll out a similar thing. And so we're seeing this kind of constant inflow of inquiries of people wanting to have that advantage they see El Salvador having. And I think another place where the game theory comes into effect is just understanding what drives politicians. Politicians love to see their name in the news. They love to see, you know, to be in the headlines. They love, to, especially if it's the, the big papers, the Wall Street Journals, the 60 Minutes, the, you know, the CBS, the, the Fox News, those things. And so they're realizing, wow, just by adopting Bitcoin, El Salvador has really catapulted itself into a country that everybody knows about. I would say Nayib Bukele is one of the, the most recognizable presidents, you know, outside of, you know, the U.S. and some of the maybe the, the big five to have a small country like that, to have the name recognition that the president has is phenomenal. And so I think that's going to be a driving factor, you know, along with the other things of them realizing, hey, I can put my name in the history books. I can go down as one of the first adopters that brought my country out of this kind of decades of financial repression. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise Flagship Fund to your portfolio in just minutes with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash WSB. That's fundrise.com slash WSB. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Kyle, you're connected with a ton of different investors and portfolio managers, and you're just really in the know on a lot of these things. How do you keep up with all the day-to-day -day headlines for your portfolio companies? Yeah, so I used to have a ton of issues with this, and that was until I started using Yahoo Finance. Really? What's so great about it? 
So Yahoo Finance is awesome. I have my whole portfolio entered and I can easily see all the top headlines to keep up with the recent news. And each day you get an overview of the major global events that might be moving the market. So I'm ready to easily pounce on any opportunities that come my way. What else can you do on Yahoo Finance's platform? They also have a number of cool features, including a tool that lets you link all of your investment accounts, analyst ratings, and independent research, as well as the ability to create customized charts. Well, now I know that the audience is really going to love this one and actually see they have 90 million monthly active users. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. As many of you know, I love studying businesses and networking with business owners. The more I've studied businesses, the more I've realized that starting and scaling your business is easier than ever because of companies like Shopify. Did you know that Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S.? Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify even helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. Up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. What I personally love about Shopify is that it's the turnkey solution to kickstart and grow your business. And they are totally committed to giving you the necessary tools to succeed as a business owner. Plus, they have an award-winning customer support team there to help you every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash WSB. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash WSB now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash WSB. All right. Back to the show. Totally agree. You're seeing that too. You're seeing it here, and even in the U.S. with local or state people running for office, they're everybody I see is pro Bitcoin. It's it's interesting <laughs> to see them all latching onto it. I'm curious, have you ever had engagements with uh, President Bukele? So the only engagement I've had with with the president was on a Twitter Spaces that was uh, actually the night of the the law being signed. And so that was the only direct engagement. We've had a lot of engagement with the Minister of Tourism, the Minister of Economy, and more recently, the Minister of Education. We're working with the the Education Ministry to roll out a countrywide program of Bitcoin education starting from seventh grade on. So they want to do financial education, you know, primarily focused on Bitcoin across all the public schools. And we're working with My First Bitcoin, which is another nonprofit here doing Bitcoin education to develop this curriculum that will really be the first in the world. I mean, really the first, most countries don't do any financial education in the public schools. So not only are they doing financial education, they're doing Bitcoin focused financial education. And that's what we need to develop, you know, the, the talent for the jobs that were flowing into El Salvador. That, to be quite honest, that is one of the bottlenecks right now is there's so many countries that want to be attached to the name of El Salvador, to the phenomenon that's happening here, that, but they're having trouble staffing up quick enough because there's so much demand for these more 
you know, highly talented programmers and people in the space. And so El Salvador is trying to ramp up their education. There's a number of nonprofits that are stepping in that are doing different courses to develop this, this workforce that these companies are demanding. You have a, a housing project going on down there. Talk to us a little bit about this. So we have two very different and very exciting housing projects that, that we're working on. One is, is a social initiative that we're doing in affordable housing. We want to make sure that with all the development that's happening in El Salvador, specifically El Zante, that the locals participate, that they're not pushed out to the margins. And so we have um, combined forces with New Story. It's a very innovative, you know, housing-focused nonprofit. And we're going to do, it's going to be between three to 500 homes in El Zante that will be Bitcoin-only mortgages. So now the, the mortgages won't be denominated in Bitcoin. We wouldn't want to saddle anybody with that. They'll be denominated in dollars, but they'll make their monthly payments in Bitcoin. And that's going to allow New Story to significantly reduce the cost of servicing loans to low-income individuals. In the past, they found sometimes just servicing the loans can cost 40% of the, the loan payments that are coming in because wow. they have bank accounts, they have to go out and collect in person. It's very labor intensive. And so this is going to allow them to be much more efficient. And it's going to allow the individuals buying the homes to have a record of all the payments they've made. They can pay from you know, sitting on their couch. And it'll also obviously increase demand for Bitcoin you know, in the local community. So we're super excited about that. Wow. So whatever the, whatever the conversion rate is, their monthly payments denominate in dollars. So let's just say that the payment's $1,000 a month. They take that $1,000, they immediately swap it into Bitcoin. And whatever that, whatever that conversion rate is, the, the person who, who lent the money is receiving that back in Bitcoin. And that's yeah, and so just, just for a frame of reference, the, the payments are sixty dollars a month. So these are payments that hmm. even these people making three to four hundred dollars a month, they'll be able to afford to own their own home to be able to pay it off over a 15-year period with an interest-free loan. Then those funds that are repaid will go to fund the, the next housing project. And so we're super excited about it. Actually, Coinbase donated uh, two and a half million dollars to fund this program. So I, I know Coinbase sometimes gets knocked on within the, the Bitcoin space, but our hats are off to them for kind of stepping up and, and really putting their, their money where their mouth is to support this project. And we're, we're super excited about that. The other project that we're doing is going to be more focused on the expat Bitcoin community people that are looking for second homes, looking for a plan B, or just want to get out of the US or Canada or Australia, which I get inundated with, with DMs from people you know, that they want to escape. They want to come to El Salvador. And so we're going to do a pretty substantial project there in El Zante, in the hills, uh, amazing ocean views, anywhere from 200,000 to a million dollar homes in that community. And it's going to be Bitcoin only. I mean, the payments wow. are all in Bitcoin. The HOAs will be in Bitcoin. This is going to be a gathering place for Bitcoiners who want to live their life in Bitcoin. Wow. I can just, only just imagine a, the emails, Mike. <laughs> just a follow up on that that kind of shows how much investments coming into El Salvador because of this law. It was actually uh, a little over a year ago at the, or I guess it was about a year ago at the Bitcoin conference in Miami before the law was announced. 
I, there was a developer, uh, real estate developer in the commercial hall, and they had a couple projects in Nicaragua and Honduras, and they were denominated in Bitcoin. And so I went and talked to them. Actually, the president of the company was there. So I came back to have a meeting with him and explained about the Bitcoin Beach project and that we had this vision to do a Bitcoin-only housing development. And would they be interested in, in coming and looking and maybe partnering with that or trying to do something? And he said, you know, I'll be honest, it sounds exciting, but El Salvador, it's maybe on our 10-year roadmap, but it's just not a place where we see a lot of demand right now. And it's probably not something we'd be interested in. But here, here's my number. Let's keep in touch. If I can help in any way, let me know. And later that afternoon, the video came on and Bukele made the announcement that El Salvador was adopting Bitcoin. The next day, I got a call from this individual and he said, hey, we're all, all our whole team is coming next week. We're moving forward on El Salvador. This is going to be our focus to build this community. And right now, this is a $100 million you know, project that they're looking to do, which in a country like El Salvador, where the total economy in a year is about $30 billion, I mean, $100 million is significant. And that's one little part, just one little of these hundreds and hundreds of you know, big projects that are moving forward that are benefiting, bringing jobs, benefiting the economy, and, and really driving El Salvador forward. Unreal. Talk to us about the volcano mining and kind of your thoughts on the energy and whether this is going to materialize into, into much. The volcano bonds, I mean, the volcano, yeah, the volcano bonds and the Bitcoin city aspect, I think is a brilliant marketing campaign. I, I love the narrative. I love the thought of being able to mine with you know, energy that, that doesn't produce any emissions. I have my skepticisms. I have my doubts on whether the combination of the, the warm weather in El Salvador and then the current cost of electricity I don't know if, if it's ever going to become like a mining epicenter. I know for myself right now, I pay about 30, I think it's about 30 cents a kilowatt oh, for wow. electricity in, in my home, which is about what I pay in, in my hometown of San Diego. And so neither of those, you know, obviously those rates are, are not going to entice miners. No. I do know for the volcanoes, you know, obviously they're locating right at the source. They can kind of be behind the meter. They don't have the transmission costs. I'm not an expert in, in, in the hydro uh, steam power. I don't know if they can really be competitive. I would guess it's going to be more of a niche thing, but I'd be happy to be proved wrong on that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that develops. And you're very right. Like Bitcoin mining just goes to where the, where the cheapest energy, that's the beauty of it. I mean, it's, it's just attracted. Those rigs are just attracted to the areas that you can get six cent per kilowatt hour, four cent per kilowatt hour. Those rigs are just going to show up in those locations. So yeah, we'll see how it we'll see how it develops. I do think the 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 bond issue which has been tied to that, I think that is a whole nother story. I think that is actually going to revolutionize the the world financial system. Mm -hmm. If if this goes off as I expect it will, I mean I think that will be what drives a lot of countries to adopt Bitcoin. Because it could be done in a way that for the early, you know, obviously it's, it's not going to be sustainable for everybody. You'll get to the point where it, you know, the, the early gains will already be had. But 
I think for the early adopters that are doing this while Bitcoin still has a long way to run, I think they're going to actually be able to pay off their national debt while borrowing money. I think it's going to be, I mean, mind-blowing. Talk to us about how replicable you think Bitcoin beaches in other locations. You said you had a couple people reach out to you to try to, to do this in their domains, but how replicable is it what you've done? Like what's needed? I think it's super replicable. I mean, I'm nobody. I'm not a tech person. I'm not some high powered executive. I was just somebody stupid enough to believe that this could be done and that people would want to spend uh, Bitcoin on their daily coffee. And so if I can do it, literally anybody can do it. And right now we are really focused on kind of making Bitcoin Beach a worldwide initiative and supporting. There's a number of other you know, great projects. A lot of them run by people you know, much more talented than myself that just haven't had the media exposure and maybe the financial resources to get the momentum that we were able to get. So right now, that's kind of where I'm focusing on all my efforts. There's a very exciting project in South Africa and Musil Bay called Bitcoin Akasi. And so many parallels to the Bitcoin Beach story. It's also a surf town. They actually had an existing surf-focused nonprofit that they integrated Bitcoin in with. They're seeing, I think they have a half dozen stores now that are onboarded. They're rolling out educational initiatives. They've actually started a lifeguard initiative like we did, where they're paying the lifeguards in Bitcoin. And so for me, there's no bigger joy than seeing this, you know, come out of El Zante, come out of El Salvador, this light and this hope, and go into a place like South Africa. There's another initiative in Guatemala, Bitcoin Lake, that's kind of a similar thing. A big initiative in Peru that actually has a ton of traction. They've, they've onboarded, you know, I think, like 100 stores. They have a couple thousand people using Bitcoin. Uh, the initiative is called Motive. And it's, I'm surprised at the limited press coverage it's gotten because they've actually... I think are doing more than we're even doing in El Salvador. So there's, you know, there's a project in Brazil. There's a, there's a Bitcoin Beach spinoff in Guatemala. There's Bitcoin Jungle in Costa Rica. And so in true Bitcoin fashion, it's decentralized. It's not, we're not like some head organization that people run through. They're doing their own thing and we're behind the scenes helping support them and kind of push. And when we have extra resources, we push them their way. So I'm curious, Mike, are you, do you have a 501c3 here in the US that people can make donations to that, you know, say somebody wants to send you $10,000 in Bitcoin, how, how would they do that? Do they get a tax write-off if they're in the US? What, how, are you, how are you guys operating that? Yeah. So we do have a kind of an umbrella nonprofit in, in the US. It's more um, focused on what our initial work, which was supporting different churches and working with different missionaries. That's kind of what this spun out of. And so we still have that available for people that want a tax write-off that want to give to the local programs, you know, specifically to the Bitcoin programs. And we'll keep it in Bitcoin if, if you know, that's generally what we try to do. But a lot of people in the Bitcoin space will just want to give directly. And so we'll send them a QR code or a lot of times we'll actually encourage them, hey, we have an, enough right now for this month. Send it to the, the project in South Africa because mm. they're being held back by lack of resources. and they'll actually be able to get more bang for the sat right now than, than we will because we're set for the month. And so hmm. we're really trying to be open-handed about it. 
and make sure we're spreading these resources to all of these projects. Is there a site that kind of lays out uh, all these other initiatives that are happening that are similar to yours that a person can kind of see, you know, the 10 different major efforts that are taking place and which one that they can kind of reach out to, to, do you know of anything that, that's, that lays that out? We're working on that right now. I'm embarrassed okay. to say that it's not up yet, but no, that, that will be on our bitcoinbeach.com website. That's, okay. We're in the planning process right now. We'll actually have a landing page and links for them to donate to all of those you know, organizations directly. Um, we, all, we feel it's always better for them to go directly if they feel comfortable. Some people would rather turn it over to us and, and sense that we have a better idea of who needs it most. But I like the direct contact. I like for people to feel like they're giving directly. Then they can go to South Africa and help do the English classes and participate in these things directly. But within the next month, that will be up on our Bitcoin Beach website. Okay. Most of our listeners are from the future. So uh, if you're listening to this in the future, go to (laughs) bitcoinbeach.com. If you're listening to this in the future, go there now. And I bet you it's up on the site. This is phenomenal, Mike. I can just tell you from a person watching from afar, it's just so impressive to see what you've done and just you've, you've lit in a fire that is just spreading a torch, you know, and, and you're just lighting these torches all over the world. And I mean, look at what's just happened in El Salvador. Now it's happening in, uh, in all these different countries. You got countries showing up, learning about this, coming out to your site. What an exciting time. I mean, you just have to feel like almost like pinch me. Like how in the world is this real? How, how in the world is this played out? And, and in the timeline that it's played out, like how long have you been down there? So we've been down in El Salvador for, for about 10 years, but this project was only rolled out in 2019. So it's, um, it's really been shocking how quickly it has rolled out and it's funny, I actually went back and um, I had written a, a white paper of sorts to present to the original donor that, that funded these things. And I laid out this very aggressive timeline of all these things that were going to happen. And I'm shocked, like all those things actually happened as I described them and even faster. And so it's... Um, and what's I'm the original donor? I'm probably try to publish that in the, the next couple months here because I, I think people will realize like, this was a very stupid idea from a naive individual who thought they could do this and it worked. So if, if I can do it, if our small team of most of the people had never even left the village of El Zante and they were able to drive this worldwide phenomenon, then anybody can do this. You just got to step out out of your comfort zone and, you know, do the work. Have you had a conversation with the original donor? Yeah, just just through uh, cryptic text messages. Uh, I've never met the donor. I don't even know if it's a man or a woman. And so, but I I have uh, had some email messages back and forth. And yeah, obviously they're they're thrilled about what's happening. Unbelievable, unbelievable. And it's it's shocking (laughs) for. I mean, it was a very generous donation, but in in comparison to the impact that it's had, unreal. I can't think of anything else in the world that's had this like million fold ripple effect impact. And it's so fitting for Bitcoin. I mean, it's, it's so Satoshi-esque. It's just right in the line with all that, that, you know, somebody that doesn't want any credit, doesn't even want to be known who they are, kind of spurred this whole thing. Unbelievable. I'm speechless. 
Okay, so the Bitcoin Beach website, we're going to have this in the show notes. Is there anything else that you want to have added into the show notes, Mike, that you want people to be able to, to ping? Because they're going to hear this. They're going to be interested. They're going to want to maybe donate and participate and, and be the next uh, 100,000 <laughs> donor that, that creates a, another massive spark in the world. What, what do you got for them? So we're, we're really more active on Twitter than anything else. I mean, the, the web page is, is more of a landing page. We're trying to be better about it, but Twitter is you know where we are up to date on everything. And, and then it's also too, when people want to donate, we can, if we have our budget met for that month, we can push them directly to some of these other initiatives. And so Twitter is really the best place to follow us. Okay, fantastic. I know you're very active there. You're, you're very responsive. So just look Bitcoin Beach. Wow. Uh, very exciting. Mike Peterson, thank you for joining us. We will have that in the show notes. If there's anything I can do to help out in the future, please let me know. Well, when are you going to come down? I mean, we, we I'm, shouldn't be I'm doing come... this uh, remotely. <laughs> we should be doing this in person. I am going to come down. I need to get my travel straight. I got a bunch of trips lined up, but I am going to come down there and I look forward to that trip a whole lot. Come down for the Adopting Bitcoin Conference in November. I don't surf though. Hey, we got the best instructors, <laughs> so we'll get you out there. I'm a, I, I promise you I will be a disaster on a surfboard. The water's 85 degrees. Even if you're a disaster, you'll have fun and enjoy it. So that's what's so great about surfing in El Salvador. <laughs> Mike, thank you so much for your time and coming on the show. It was a privilege, Preston. Can't, can't wait to see you down there in El Zante. Yes, sir. If you guys enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. Just search for We Study Billionaires. The Bitcoin-specific shows come out every Wednesday, and I'd love to have you as a regular listener. If you enjoyed the show or you learned something new or you found it valuable, if you can leave a review, we would really appreciate that. And it's something that helps others find the interview in the search algorithm. So anything you can do to help out with a review, we would just greatly appreciate. And with that, thanks for listening and I'll catch you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. To access our show notes, courses or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.